0: Welcome to I Do Podcast.
1: Thank you for joining us. We are coming to you from Costa Rica, as we have been since November, and this is our last week here. I can't believe yes. we are leaving temporarily, but we are getting out of the country.
0: Time flies. Yeah, we're going to be headed back to the States for the summer. I'm going to visit. Uh, Stella and I are going to go see our family in Florida, and then we'll actually be in Hood River for a majority of the summer. Um, it's absolutely beautiful there. And that's where we're actually hosting our Hood River couples retreat this summer at the end of July. So if you are on the fence and this is the last opportunity to sign up.
1: Yeah. It ends this week, right? That you have to sign up
0: last week to sign up.
1: Yep. And that is Hood River, Oregon. It's just outside of Portland. We've talked about it on the show before, but as Sarah said, it's a beautiful place and I'm looking forward to being there, even though we're leaving a place that we've grown to love a lot, yeah. you know, having lived <laughs> down here. And this is our home now here in, in Costa Rica where uh, I I was Brought down here for some surf camps uh, that i 'm working, and uh, Sarah is plugging along on the podcast while I surf and and run the camps and it 's really a great setup, and we kind of have a bit of an off season so we 're making our way up to the states and uh, yeah, we look forward to it, and we just love. Uh, how the show has been going. It's just been great over these last few months. The feedback, the, the numbers are, yeah. are growing, the the people that we're reaching out there.
0: It's absolutely amazing. And it's it's so cool to see the progress of the show from how we just started it as a newly engaged couple looking for relationship advice for us to where it is now over We've interviewed over, I think, 160 therapists and psychologists. And so it's a pretty amazing adventure. And we're so glad that you are on this journey with us.
1: Yeah, it has been an awesome adventure. So on this episode, we welcome Sherry Gaba. And this is a really important episode because we talk about how to deal with a partner who is an addict. So whether it's substance abuse they're addicted to pornography, uh, but uh, primarily we focus in on on substance abuse. But it, it can apply to all forms of addiction. And some really insightful and important things uh, that Sarah and I learned today, and I'm sure it's going to help you guys out there. Hopefully, if you know you're not in this situation, but a lot of people are with with the opioid, opioid epidemic and and alcoholism and. And any number of things, and, and there's going to be a lot of valuable tools here today, and Sherry is the one to give them because she has over 20 years experience working as a clinician, and specifically, she has zeroed in and made her focus on helping people in relationship with addicts, and she was a go-to expert for Dr. Drew on celebrity rehab, and so you may recognize her from there, and it's just a really insightful and important show, I think, uh, today because just some small but important things that can make a huge difference uh, when you're trying to navigate your relationship with an addict.
0: And you may be listening and maybe you can't relate. Maybe you're not in a relationship with an addict. Um, but we also talk about potential situations, um, of, uh, being married to a spouse who is enabling their child, or maybe your partner has a small addiction that, um, to their phone or to a hobby that is, um, putting a burden on the relationship. Maybe you're not connecting as much or being as intimate as much. So we'll definitely, um, you'll definitely find some value in this episode. Um, even if you're not full on uh, in a substance abuse uh, issue or addiction uh, with your partner.
1: And uh, as always, we appreciate you guys listening, leaving us those five-star reviews. We are just rolling through summer here and so appreciative of our listeners. So thank you and enjoy today's show.
0: Today's show is brought to you by our Hood River Couples Retreat. Join us in Hood River, Oregon this summer, July 28th through August 2nd. The retreat is built to be the ultimate vacation for couples looking to have fun, try new things, and build a stronger relationship in paradise. We'll be doing activities like waterfall hikes, rafting, wine tastings, and so much more. For more information, visit our website at idopodcast.com slash hoodriver. Hi, Sherry. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today.
2: Uh, so happy to be here, Sarah and Chase. It's great.
1: We've given our listeners a little overview, told them about your work. Wanted to take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships.
2: Great question. Um, I started out working more, more in the addiction field, and what I found often with addictions is a lot of people that are struggling with addictions end up maybe losing, you know, leaving one addiction or going into recovery for one addiction, suddenly cross addict into other addictions. That often is all about love, love addiction. Um, In my particular case, it was love and marriage addiction. Uh, But, you know, I find that when people get sober from one thing, then suddenly they... um you know, they look for love and what, you know, as we, the proverbial, all in all the wrong places. And so, you know, my passion right now is to really help people see, you know, what is healthy love? What does it look like? But more importantly, are they in a love addicted situation and how to get out of it, how to identify it and how to move forward in their life so that, you know, they can bring healthy love to themselves.
1: Well, we are going to zero in and talk about addiction today and, and love addiction, like you mentioned, but, but other forms of addiction. So why don't we start by having you define addiction, and then we can move forward from there.
2: Well, any addiction is when your life becomes unmanageable. In other, th- in other words, things are out of control. There's consequences, whether it's financial. Uh, whether it's you've lost your children, whether you've lost a job, uh, you've lost your um, morality, you've, you, you've lost, um, like I said, a job, you know, everything is just kind of spinning out of control, things are not working for you, and you know, your life can look pretty bleak, you can have a pretty dark, dark bottom where you pretty much lose everything, and for love addicts, their addiction becomes that other person that they're going to save, the person that is the addict or the alcoholic, let's say, or... Or maybe it could be a narcissistic uh, relationship or it could be, you know, somebody who um, abuses them or somebody that um, perhaps is a cheater, you know, whatever. And so their whole being, you know, is to save them, to fix them, and to make them what they want them to be. They're sort of in love with the potential of who they wish they would be, the delusion, rather than who they really are.
1: So there's obviously a lot of elements in it to addiction. You have the the person that's addicted and then the loved one that is with them. And navigating these things can be incredibly difficult. So why don't we start with talking about someone that's in a relationship with someone that has a substance abuse addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs. And obviously, that's going to have negative effects on the relationship. How can the partner deal with that what are some of the first steps that they need to be taking to to help their addicted partner
2: well the first thing is just by being on this call they're you know they're they're getting an awareness of what that might look like you know oh wow i really am with somebody that has an issue So am I supporting them in their recovery journey, you know, helping them get sober in their recovery, or am I actually enabling them? Am I hurting them? Am I sort of co-signing their death by the things that I'm doing? And enabling does not mean you have – and actually, by the way, enabling doesn't just have to be a partner or a child that is an addict or alcoholic. You know, enabling can infiltrate many relationships. It can infiltrate relationships with friends and relatives, partners, spouses, children, coworkers, bosses neighbors, casual encounters. So I just want to be clear that enabling can happen in all types of um, uh, relationships. Um, But one thing I do know for sure is when we stop enabling, this not only helps us, but it helps the ones we love by encouraging them to use their own abilities they innately have in order for them to regain their dignity and self-esteem. So, you know, one of the things I always used to ask myself to gauge whether I was enabling my husband, who was an alcoholic, or was I helping him, was to ask myself again what I said earlier. Am I supporting his recovery or am I enabling his disease? And that question is so much easier said than done. You know, the bottom line is this. If the person you love is perfectly capable of handling a situation on their own and you're doing it for them, then most likely you're enabling them. Um, What you're doing when you enable is you're helping preserve, protect, and maintain the problem, namely namely their addiction. So the other question you might ask yourself is, am I allowing this person to experience the consequences of the behavior? If not, you are, again, probably enabling. You think you're helping someone avoid pain and suffering But believe me, by enabling, you're only prolonging the pain and suffering. Um, You know, I had a very dear friend of mine who understood what I was going through with my ex-husband and used to always, you know, say to me, Cher, you're co-signing his behavior when you do things for him that he can do for himself. And you could also be contributing to his demise or death if you don't allow him to experience the consequences. So, you know, I did all kinds of things like giving him gas money, Um, I put him in rehabs, I let him back in my life after we divorced for a couple of years, and he still, you know, relapsed, I mean, I just, the guy could not fall on his feet because I get I just kept picking up the pieces, um, so that's something you really want to look at, is what is it, what is it in you that you feel the need that you have to keep picking up the pieces, what, why are you so empty inside yourself, are you looking to create drama, are you looking to sabotage your own life, um, and a lot of times what it comes down to is your own low self-esteem, your own ability to be alone, your own inability to feel the discomfort of not being with somebody, um, and your own inability to not be always in control. Um, And that's why, you know, people that get into recovery, whether it's the addict or the codependent, it's a spiritual program. It's a spiritual program where you're letting go to something greater than yourself to help you get through this, you know, potentially um, deadly cycle.
0: So, What would you tell somebody who is um, by, by your explanation is enabling their partner. uh, Maybe they have a substance abuse, but they don't have any other way because they still love them. Like for example, like, like you said, giving them um, gas money or helping them, like you want to help them because they're your partner. But where do you draw that line to say, I'm just not going to do this anymore?
2: Well, that's, that's that whole idea of, you know, what is recovery and what is enabling. And I, and it really can be a gray zone. I mean, you don't have to give up, but if it's starting to affect you personally, for instance, for me, eventually I, I started getting really sick. I got shingles. I was losing my hair. got a staph infection. I mean, all these little weird things were happening. Oh, kidney stones. Like, all this stuff was happening to me because I wasn't taking care of myself. So if you feel like you're really not... Uh, in a self-care mode, and your whole being in existence is obsessed, is being obsessed over that addict and getting them well, then you're probably in a lot of trouble. So the first step is to squash your enabling behavior, and it's to get really clear on what your boundaries are and, and willing to stick to those boundaries and not bend, which won't be easy when your loved one attempts to manipulate you. You know, I remember my husband on numerous occasions would ask me to pick him up because he either lost his car or was too intoxicated to drive, I would refuse, and then I'd be met with all this anger with him, usually hanging up the phone or telling me, you know, I I didn't love him or, you know, I'm selfish or, you know, uh, whatever. And then I would pick him up and, you know, or I was selfish because I didn't pick him up. And I'd have to really exercise these boundary muscles because otherwise I was really getting into a, a manipulation, you know, because addicts and alcoholics, when they're in their disease, they're master manipulators. They will say and do anything to get what they need from you. So, um, you know, the truth is by not giving into to the demands, again, you're allowing them to grow and to realize there are consequences. And in time, hopefully they learn to navigate life through their own trials and tribulations. And if your loved one is not willing to do the results of a particular type of behavior, then they better stop that behavior. And one opportunity for them to change is to play their part, is not to play their part for them anymore. I mean, there will always be excuses why your loved one's drinking, acting out, or acting irresponsibly. And they'll always have a reason to manipulate you into feeling guilty about a myriad of things. You know, like in my husband's case, it was his horrible childhood or a history of abuse or trauma or blaming it on something or someone outside of themselves. And that's how they kind of suck you in, by, you know, being the victim. And you're going to feel sorry for them, and therefore you're going to do for them. what they can certainly do for themselves. So, you know, the truth is, most of us are not ah. handed perfect childhoods or perfect set of circumstances. And it's really up to them to accept themselves as, you know, as, as who they are, where they are, and just learning to adjust to that situation. You know, I think of my own daughter who... um, did not have a dad. That was my first husband, and um, every day, pretty much, I told her, and it really worked. I said, "You were dealt these cards, and how are you going to, you know, how are you going to do? I don't know how do you say it. <laughs> you were dealt these cards, and how are you going to deal them, or how are yeah. you going to live them? <laughs> this is what this is. You know, this is your. Uh, I can't. I'm not saying it right. but You know what I'm saying? I'm, like I know, you this mean. is what you've been given. <laughs> yes, you know. Um, and how are you gonna? How are you gonna go through life with what you've been given? And it really helped her. Really, never be a victim that you know her dad left her when she was a year old. So it, it's the same thing for an alcoholic, and it's the same thing, you know, for me right now in my life today. I mean, here I am. I'm, I'm in my 50s. I didn't expect to be single. Um, it's it, it's not where I wanted to be, but, you know, I have to look at the choices that I made that, that brought me here, and, and as we know, when we look at the law of attraction, you know, our life is a series of the choices that we put out there into the universe, and I made some pretty crappy choices based on my own inability to be alone, inability to, um, you know, take care of what I needed, and made everybody else come first. So my whole mission in life is to help people, you know, they don't have to settle. There is somebody waiting for them that's absolutely amazing because I see it all the time in my clients For those, and for the people that, you know, you know, take the time to do relationship coaching or take the time to read great books or listen to programs like yours. You know, there's so much hope and help out there that nobody has to, you know, settle for the scraps.
1: So, there is uh, a lot of stuff to unpack here and and you 've given us some great information about enabling because that's that 's obviously a big part of of dealing with an addicted partner. I want to go maybe uh, not necessarily a step before but but dig into this and and think about what do you do when your partner is is denying their addiction and they 're not getting professional help because in the end you know you 're you are not the. Uh, I'm not saying you, but someone that's with an addictive partner, the, the expert on alcoholism and, and trying to solve the problem. They need professional help. And if they're not willing to do it or not taking the steps, how can you have the conversation to to get them to to seek professional help? Because in my mind, certainly you don't want to be enabling. But but the first step is that they need to, to be getting professional help.
2: Well, that's a great question, and the problem with that is that addiction is the only disease that says you don't have a disease, so that's where denial comes in. Most addicts and alcoholics, unless they've reached a real bottom, and sometimes even that bottom isn't a bottom enough for them, they really don't want to give up their goodies. They don't want to give up the booze. They don't want to give up, you know, the drugs, so when you say, how do you get them to get professional help, you know, you can only be a conduit for support you can only give you know you can try to uh tell them about meetings you can tell them about therapists you can tell them about treatment centers you can do a professional intervention where you pay someone to gather all their loved ones and work buddies and everybody in their life together to try to move them into a rehab uh into sobriety but the bottom line is if they're not ready there is nothing you can do and this is the part that is so hard for people to understand it was so hard for me to understand here i am you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a celebrity rehab addiction expert. Um, I'm on TV. I've written a book, and I can't, I can't get my husband sober for, for, for anything, and that, was, and that was the truth. I was powerless, and for most people out there that are probably listening, like, what do you mean you're powerless? But we are powerless. We have no control we have no control over them and that's the biggest that's one of the hardest things to accept. You know that that serenity prayer is really really describes it perfectly. God, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So you can, you know, you you, you can't do it for them. They have to want to do it themselves. They have to want to reach a point. And that's why I talk so much about enabling because I never let my ex-husband reach the bottom. I kept putting him in rehabs and I kept, you know, um, saving the day, so to speak. And yeah, here's money for, for getting to work. And, you know, well, why was I doing that? I mean, he was just using his money to buy booze and I'm giving him money to buy gas. It's like, no, if you're going to buy money for booze, then you don't you don't get to go to work, I guess. So then I guess you'll have to lose your job, which of course ultimately happened. He did lose his job. But... There's so little you, you have power over. But what you do have power over is to take care of yourself. And so the best thing that I ever did, and it changed my life immensely, is I joined my own 12-step program, something called Al-Anon. And that's, that's just one program. I mean, nowadays, there's all kinds of things sprouting up, but Al-Anon is the foundation of the 12 steps for family members and loved ones of an addict or alcoholic. And you're really not going there for them. You're actually going there for yourself, It's a me program. It's a program to help you start getting into self-care. I mean, I completely neglected myself for this person. I lost myself, literally, in this person. Just like the addict loses themselves in the drugs or alcohol, I lost myself in this person. I mean, I actually got a high trying to rescue him. This really, you know, distorted view of what love was. Well, oh my God, I'm his wife. I mean, I'm supposed to do these things. No, no. Eventually... You know, you're going to hurt yourself, and then you can't help anyone, and then you can't live your greatest life. And I realized, you know, I have so much more to live for, and, um, you know, I love my work. I love my daughter. I love my granddaughter. There's so many great things. You know, I can't let this person, you know, take me down that path anymore, and I have a choice. And so the first step is to get into a meeting, get a really great sponsor, and, be with people that really get you, that understand what you're going through. It's, it's really, and It was really hard for me. I had a lot of shame stepping into those rooms because I'm supposed to know better. But that's why I'm speaking out as a professional because I want people to know that this, this disease could happen to anyone, this disease of being obsessed with another person. This can happen to anyone. And um, I like to be really transparent because I want people to know that they're not alone.
1: This is such valuable information because I know the people listening out there that that find themselves in this situation or that may find themselves in this situation. It can you are not going to like this is all completely new to me. I I didn't realize you know that the answer is kind of to go seek support yourself because and yeah. and. and it's such a valuable thing in and how you can get lost in in helping your partner and enabling them. And like a lot of the a lot of the things we talk about on the show when it comes to relationships, we talk about having the power to change To make the change you want whether it's better communication uh you name it setting boundaries you don't have to wait for your partner you can take the individual initiative to do it whereas in in a situation where you are with an addict like you said that power is is not there and because of their addiction that their disease you can't you can make the change for yourself by getting your own help but for them to change it 's almost that they have to go through the steps and, and it 's got to be incredibly hard, um, but i guess I, I know
2: well, I, well, I guess what I guess what you 're saying is that um, you have to be the person you would like them to be, you have to be that yeah. person right. i mean I think that 's what you 're saying
1: yeah yeah and and but I guess absolutely and i 'm just thinking for the our listeners out there who maybe they haven't said anything to their partner that's an alcoholic, let's say, or maybe they have a little bit. Is there, what can they say? Like, like specifically, what, what kinds of things can they, I know you said uh, suggest a here, you know, here's AA, but then I imagine an addict, it's going to get very defensive. And like you said, deny, deny. And then you, you mentioned the intervention. Uh, what? how can they navigate that communication because certainly it's got to be besides seeking support for yourself, it's got to be hard to just like watch your partner kind of wither away and not say anything. So what does that dialogue look and sound like?
0: But before we continue, we want to tell you about today's sponsor.
1: If only Grove Collaborative existed when we had our daughter Stella about three years ago, it would have saved me a huge headache. Like we shared in last episode, we are very conscious parents and that's why we It was an easy choice that we didn't want Stella to come into contact with toxic chemicals that are often found in house cleaning products and toiletries and stuff like that. But not in
0: Groves. (laughs) Yeah,
1: not in Grove. And that's why we're so excited to be working with them.
0: If you don't know Grove already, then you should. Grove sells only the best non-toxic products. So when I shop on their website, I'm confident that I'm selecting items that are not only good for me and my family, but also the planet.
1: So, now that we are grove v i p members what, what? <laughs> <laughs> We are finding that it is super easy. To order what we want and it's not expensive and all thanks to the Grove Collaborative platform. And not only does it have brands that we already trusted like Burt's Bees, I love their chapstick, my lips are like constantly chapped (laughs) because I'm always in the sun. But also Seventh Generation and everything they sell is vetted to be the best all natural products around.
0: I'm currently obsessed with the glass cleaner because Stella loves wiping her dirty, sticky hands all over our sliding glass window, so I'm constantly cleaning them, and I hate the idea of spraying harsh chemicals to clean them and then touch them with my skin, so Grove allows me to clean them knowing that we're all going to be safe, so it's a win-win. And I'm also loving the lavender scent of their Miss Meyer soap. It is to die for, and it makes my house smell so amazing like a spa. <laughs> So, if you haven't tried Grove already, then you need to today. Our listeners who sign up get an amazing 30 day Miss Myers gift set and a free 60 day VIP membership when you sign up and place an order of $20 or more. So, check out Grove for our special offer at grove.co forward slash I do. That's grove.co, not.com slash I do.
2: Well, again, you're going to be disappointed, I think, because really if somebody's in their disease and you're talking to a vodka bottle, you know, you're really not talking to anybody. You know, you're not, you're not, there is no conversation. You're going to get someone who's an angry drunk. You're going to get someone who's in denial. You're going to get somebody who's defensive. Uh, It's very hard to watch someone you loved, you know, self-destruct. But, you know, it's about they know where the meetings are, they know that, they know that there are rehab options. You, know, you could take them into a, maybe a therapy session and have the professional explain the different options, but it goes back to if they're not ready, there's nothing you can do. The worst thing you could do is to try to, like, lecture them, control them, nag them. Um, it, it won't work. It won't work. It, really what it comes down to is their alcohol and their drugs is greater than anything that you can say or do. The truth of knowing that they need to get sober is is completely not even looked at because they don't want to give up the goodies. So it it almost, and I hate, I mean, you're probably thinking, but there must be something you can say to, to fix this. But the truth is when it comes to addiction, it's stronger than anything you can do or say. Your love is not strong enough to help them.
0: I was just envisioning, you know, something that I feel would be a common thing to say, and it. I think someone would probably be like, well, if you don't change, I'm going to leave you. And that probably doesn't even make a difference for somebody who's addicted.
2: Not always. Not always. I mean, I basically divorced my ex-husband. We were apart for four years. I took him back. He got sober. We were together for two years and I I had a zero tolerance. If you ever drink again, you need to leave. Luckily, it's my house. And he drank again. And, you know, that was it. Goodbye. I mean, that was it. It obviously wasn't enough. He had to be out in the streets and be homeless and lose everything and then come back and get everything back, and that was still not enough for him to stay sober. So um, it's... You know, I'm not and I know that sounds very grim, but there are many, many success stories. There are many people that do the deal. I do, I see those people every day in my practice. They go to meetings, they get a sponsor, they or they go to rehab, they get a they get a good start in their recovery. They do family counseling. They do everything it everything it takes to keep their family together, to keep their relationship together. But there are those unfortunates out there that aren't always willing to do that. And they probably will die either an alcoholic death, go to jail, or end up in an institution. And that's the, gra- the, you know, that's the sadness. And um, it's a serious disease. And now we have an opiate epidemic, so we have people just, you know, and that's, that's really hard because you have all these people on opiates, and their spouses sometimes don't even know. You know, they don't even know that their, their, their loved one is, you know, on these opiates and, but they see, but things are happening. Like they're not wanting to be intimate because often when you're on opiates, you don't have a sex drive or suddenly that your loved one is kind of having car accidents or blackouts or falling asleep, but you still kind of don't get it because if you're not a drug addict and that's not your world, how are you supposed to know? And I hear that all the time. I, and then I, it's so sad because the couples will come in and the wife is like, what can you do to fix him? And it's like, I can't fix him. You can only fix yourself and then you can decide if this is if this is what you want. And that, and that's the other side of this whole thing is, you know what, you don't have to leave an alcoholic who's actively drinking and you don't have to leave a drug addict who's using. There are people that go to Al-Anon meetings that say, you know, I love them and I want to stay with them and I'm just going to live my own life and they're going to live theirs. For me personally, I don't want to be with an addict or alcoholic who's actively using or drinking. That is not, to me, a whole, intimate, complete relationship. But th- but you can make that choice. There are lots of choices. It's just which one works for you.
1: That's important to recognize. And, and it's not all gloom. Like you said, there are plenty of success stories. And I think these steps that you're outlining oh, yeah. are, are great and... and You know, talking in a, in a way that is maybe that initial talk is, is not, I think it's important to realize from a, from a detailed communication standpoint is, is, is to do it in a way that's not confrontational, you know, that you're just coming out accusatory, yelling at your partner, um, I imagine no, that's, no. that's obviously not going to help with their defensiveness. And you could come out and have the best communication possible. And they may likely still deny and, and, uh, Absolutely. get defensive. But at least if you come in with a clear mind, uh, you're not angry. You're not yelling at them. Um, then you're going to increase your chances that they say, you know what, uh, yeah, let me go to a therapist, or yeah, let's go talk, uh, try to get in this uh, rehab program. I think that that is, uh, and, and again, I, I'm not going to say, you know, I don't want people listening to, to think that, it's all that easy because it sounds like it's not, but certainly, making sure you're going in with that that clear-headedness and, and clear communication, and then, like you said, it, you're not powerless. You can take the initiative to to get help for yourself. And I think exactly, exactly, the enabling it, it seems to be the the big key here in avoiding that uh, cycle of enabling, and and I, I would imagine with every couple, it's going to be different where like depending on where they're at and you know you may enable them by giving them a ride because you don't want them to drive drunk and kill themselves or hurt someone else and and I would say that that's not the worst thing to do because in the end you know you need to that, that's something you need to mitigate. Uh, now, if it happens 20 times...
2: Well we, well, we have a saying that says we can't control it, we can't cure it, and we aren't the cause of it. So if that person gets in a car and drives drunk, if that, is not, that is not your fault. Right. You, it's not the other person's fault. You, you have, it's the choices that that alcoholic is making. I mean, you could try to hide the keys, sure. And the worst thing is watching a loved one get in a car that could possibly hurt someone or hurt themselves, the worst thing. But you didn't cause that, and that's what's important because so often I meet these people who don't know anything about the disease of addiction, and they think, oh, my God, what did I What did I do? What if I could have done it differently? What if I could have said it differently? You know, oh, my God, maybe I was too naggy of a wife, da 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 I mean, the journey is going to be really difficult enough for them, but adding, enabling to the mix is you're just making their journey more difficult. And you're hindering them from developing their own sense of identity. And, you know, one sense of ident- identity comes from discovering, you know, who are you? What, you know, these experiences and self-esteem comes from dealing with life on life's terms, whatever they're dealt. And so if you block that journey by enabling, you're hindering them from forming their own identities and you're really chipping away at their self-esteem. So by enabling, you're jumping into rescue and snatch their problems right under them. And you're precluding them from finding out what works best for them. So remember, what works best for you doesn't mean that's what's going to work best for them. Like, we know that, I mean, why are you doing this to your life? You just lost your job. You just lost your children. You're going to lose me. But it doesn't matter because their brain is wired differently than our brain. Because if it was wired the same as ours, they probably wouldn't be making the choices that they're making. Like, you know, I look at my ex-husband. Like, who gets your life back in two years after losing everything in four and then blow it again? Why? Because they're an alcoholic and alcoholics want to drink and they want to drink and they'll drink and drink and drink if they don't have their own recovery program. If they're not willing to do the work of going to meetings and getting a sponsor and getting support and knowing that this is forever, one day at a time. One day at a time, what can I do to ha- to you know, to have a really great life and and really the miracles exist. Like I said, I see it all the time. But if someone is not willing and not open to doing those things, then there's nothing that you can do for them. That they aren't willing to do for themselves I mean they have their own path and and that's really what helps me a lot uh, or helped me a lot in this whole process was I realized one day he has his own path he has his own higher power, and I have mine and if his higher power wants him to go out there and drink his life away, then that's so be it there's nothing I can do. I have a similar situation now with my mother who's I don't know how much time we have, but she's an alcoholic and she's with a gigolo. She's 80, he's 66, and he's she's using her for her money. And because of her alcoholism and her dementia, she's letting this man take advantage of her. And it doesn't matter what I do or say to her. She doesn't have any understanding that, or reasoning what is happening and she doesn't care. And I, there's nothing I can do. And it's horrible. I mean, you feel so powerless. You know all I can do is try to get her finances in order the best I can, and blah 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 blah, but I'm not gonna change the journey that she's on. This is how she wants to end her life, and there's nothing I can do and so that may be what this podcast for your listeners is about is that you know when you're in a relationship, just remember they have their own path they are not they're separate from us they are not they're not extensions of us.
0: What would you? Tell our listeners who are kind of in a similar situation as your mother, but a little bit different. Maybe the husband and the wife, um, maybe one of the partners, maybe the wife is enabling their child um, who has a addiction. How could the partner address The parent who is enabling their child, how would they uh, initiate that dialogue to say, hey, listen, you you have to stop enabling our child or this is going to make our relationship um, fall apart?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, That happens all the time. I would say find a really good parental Al-Anon meeting in your area and take them to that meeting so they can see uh, other parents, what they're doing to help support their kids and not enable their kids. Because you're right, there's often these couples where they have completely different points of views. They're not a team. It it sometimes breaks up marriages and relationships because they really are so different. You know, one parent knows they have to do tough love and then the other parent is like, no, I can't kick my child out. They'll die, but, you know, I know personally that by kicking them out, you're probably saving them, but it's not my child, and when that parent is in that place, it's very painful and a very hard decision to make, so I would absolutely take that parent to an Al-Anon meeting, or I would take that parent to a great therapist who really understands addiction. It's very important to find people that understand addiction. I can't tell you how many clients... Walk into my office, or or I coach because I do coaching too. That are like, oh my god, you like knew everything in one hour because. And I'd say it's not that I I'm a psychic. I just understand addiction. And if you don't understand addiction, and just you know, just like you're being educated today, there's some therapists that don't understand addiction. And and let me say this too: living with an active alcoholic and being a professional, it's made me ten times better than I could ever have been without understanding what it's like to live with one. So that's what I would tell a a parent. I would say, you know, why don't you go with the other parent to a meeting, find a great therapist, so you can just be educated on what this means to enable and what it's doing. Because some people just don't understand. They keep buying their kids' cars. Their kids keep crashing the cars. They, you know, they just, they basically, um, God, I mean, I hear these stories all the time. I mean, I just heard, I was on vacation last week. I heard a story about this family. This kid is really wealthy, comes from a wealthy family. He's a full-blown alcoholic, and the parents just keep buying his love. You know, they keep buying him houses, buying him cars. He doesn't work. I mean, how is that helping the situation? but because they lost another son not from drugs but had a heart attack they're so afraid they're going to lose this one that they just keep giving in to um to craziness and that's really what it is it's craziness
1: it's got to be incredibly hard because whether it's a child or your spouse or or loved one you or love a parent. yeah you love them and and not enabling them is is Can feel like it seems like like the opposite of loving them. Like we love someone, we want to we want to help, we want to give them things, we want to enable them to just like if you were gonna if Sarah wanted to start a business, I would help enable her by being positive, giving her you know money if she needed it. That's like positive. No, 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 but that's not
2: that's not enabling. That's supporting her. Supporting,
1: yeah, not the same word. Yeah, that is like if she wanted to go,
2: go into business and and. No, I mean it would be enabling if she, you kept giving her money and she kept making, you know, foolish business decisions right, and she right. wasn't willing to get advice. Yep. Then you're making then you're enabling, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, enabling is the is a negative form of support, I guess.
2: It's, it's, it's just it's, it's a it's a delusional
1: form right, of support. delusional form. Like exactly. I'm, I'm
2: going to believe in your dream, <clears throat> but I keep watching you throw money down the toilet, and I'm just going to keep giving you money when I know that your dream is delusional. Maybe we need to like revisit your dream and see how we can do this in a more effective way, so that I um, can help support your dream, not give you money that is being wasted on a dream that will never come to fruition because you keep doing the same thing over and over again and making the same, you know, same mistakes in your business. Just like an alcoholic, you keep drinking and drinking, you know, or you keep trying to like help somebody. What is the, you know, what is the de- definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You know, you can, like, I literally, you know, could have knocked my head against the wall a thousand times to get him into rehab. It never helped. It never helped. Now that doesn't mean I'm saying go out there and give up because I always hope. I mean, I I probably would have done certain things the same as I did. Certain things I wouldn't have. I probably would have said, "You know how to find a rehab. You do that. You do the work. I'm not going to do the work for you anymore." You know that kind of thing. Um, Probably would not have brought him back into my life unless he had more time sober. He'd only had a little sobriety when I I let him back into my life. I probably would have said, if I was to do it over again, I would have said, show me a year sober with a, with meetings and a sponsor, and then we can talk. You know, and then we have to, and then we have to look at our part. Our part is what is it? Is, what is it? What what is it that is in? What is it that we need? Why are we doing this? There's there's some kind of thing that gain, you know, that secondary gain that we're getting by rescuing them. Makes us feel, you know, big. It makes us feel like we're needed. Um it in my case, I didn't have to be alone. It's like, oh yeah, I'll just, you know, have them come back and then I don't have to deal with the the, the loneliness. I mean, <clears throat> there's always something in it for ourselves too. We have to look at our parts.
0: So for our listeners who um may not be able to identify with a substance abuse problem or addiction in the relationship, but maybe there's another form of addiction like um, golf or video games or their phone or something like that. I would assume that the dialogue to start that, initiate that conversation is different because maybe it's not as um, uh, ingrained in their brain to the addiction as a, as a substance. So how would you recommend addressing your partner um, on a, a, I guess, lower level addiction?
2: Well, I guess it's like how is it affecting the relationship like is the person unavailable? you know are they doing video or shopping or are they getting into debt? are they doing video gaming where they're not really spending you know present intimate time with you are they um is their food addiction causing health issues it's about a dialogue about you know I really miss you and I really want you to be around for a long time and when you eat like you know, when you have that sort of diet that you have, it's not really about the weight, it's just about your health and, you know, we're not gonna be able to share a life together. Or, you know, when you're on you know, when you're working all the time and we're not spending any time together, you know, I really I really miss you and I want, you know, a relationship where we are together and we're connecting. And I really miss that connection and so I'm wondering if we can have some you know, communicate about this. And if they really just can't stop their behavior, then they probably Need help. And there are programs actually for spouses of, um, you know, sex addicts, love addicts. Um, there's um, uh, programs for spouses of drug addicts. But I mean, I, I don't know what's out there in terms of gaming or um, <clears throat> some of these other addictions, shopping, debting. I mean, there's debting addict programs. I don't know if they actually have them for the spouses. But I would get into a really good therapist, uh, to a really good therapist or life coach. And I tried to figure out what are your goals and is this person willing to change, maybe even get into some couples counseling and, you know, how willing is this person to look at um, the fact that, that you're no longer connecting anymore in a relationship because their addiction has taken over. It's become again, their higher power, the food and the shopping and the debting and the video, videoing and the. Maybe the sexting or talking to other women on social media or men or whatever they're doing that's keeping them away from you. You know, let's talk about this. And what are you willing to do about it? And then see, you know, maybe they need their own therapy or they need to kind of look at um, what is it. I often feel that a lot of these addictions start with a history of some kind of trauma. Something happened to them early on, and this is just their way of acting it out. You know, it's not only just the gene. There's, you know, often the genetic predisposition. Um... To, to the gene. Like my grandparents were gamblers. My mother's got other addictions like alcohol and shopping. Um, but, you know, so there's often this genetic predisposition, but then there's often this trauma component. So, like, what happened to you that now you feel the need to act out um, and to uh, sort of disassociate into your addiction? What is it that's going on that you need to escape? You know, for me, one of my addictions, um, besides the love addiction, is sometimes I get into workaholism. And, I mean, I get into workaholism, and what is that about? It's a way for me to distract what's bothering me. It's a way for me to not get close to you and to you and to you. It's a way for me to isolate. And so you just, you know, I think these are serious issues that need to be really taken seriously. And I think getting a really great therapist or great relationship coach um, You know, but just make sure that if you do work with a coach, you know, you just want to make sure that if there is mental illness going on, that you do direct them to the proper licensed clinician.
1: Well, Sherry, this is all such valuable and and really important information because uh, it's got to be incredibly difficult for someone in a position to be with an an addict or to be an addict um, yourself. and. You have given us and some listener in our listeners some great information on how to avoid enabling your partner, and then importantly, seeking professional help in in the the Al-Anon meetings. I didn't even know those existed, so that's that's a beautiful thing. That right now our listeners, if they're in this situation, they can proactively start getting that support and help themselves. I, I imagine that's going to be huge. Why don't we finish Well, up- I
2: love that. I, I love that I can bring that to your audience. That, that really you know, warms my heart because I do so often talk to audiences that already sort of understand addiction. And so to be able to be here with the two of you is just really, I'm so excited that I might make a difference to somebody out there that really doesn't understand all of this. So thank you for that. this option, this, this you know, place, this platform.
0: You absolutely will make a difference. I mean, we've learned so much, so I know our listeners um have too. So let's go ahead and wrap up this interview by having you tell our listeners where they can find you online, maybe a little bit about your book, and then we'll say goodbye.
2: Sure. Um a couple of resources. They can go to sherrygaba.com, S-H-E-R-R-Y, G A B A dot com. And I have all kinds of free ebooks, a love addiction ebook, a codependency ebook. Um All kinds of good stuff, lots of blogs... Uh, lots of free content, um, lots of quizzes that they can take to see if this is something that they're dealing with. Are they a codependent? Are they a love addict? Um, and then my latest book is on Amazon. It's called The Marriage and Relationship Junkie, Kicking Your Obsession. So it's about the person who is a love addict or relationship addict, or in my case, was a multiple marriage addict. And it's about, um, you know, kicking kicking that obsession, kicking that obsession to others, and finding yourself. Um, That's really what it's about. It's all about finding yourself. And I hope that um, that book, uh, this interview, will be helpful to somebody out
0: there. It absolutely will. Well, all those links will be on your show notes page on our website at Idupodcast.com. And again, Trey, thanks so much for joining us.
2: You are so welcome. Thank you again.
0: We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. For more information and the links um, from the interview today, you can head on over to our website at idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab and it will be the first episode there. And while you're on our website, if you are interested in learning more information about our podcast, upcoming Hood River Couples Retreat, then click on the retreat tab and you'll be able to find all the information on the retreat. It's going to be at the end of July this summer and we look forward to it um, with you guys. It's going to be an awesome couple days in Hood River. It's amazing there. So we hope you join us. And if you are on our website and you're looking for some resources or some tools for your relationship, we really encourage you to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. It's a free challenge where we send you a daily email for 14 days. And in each email is a doable challenge for that day to do within your relationship. it's going to help you become stronger, more connected, more intimate. And uh, we know that you're going to enjoy it. We've had some great feedback from all you guys who have done it. And uh, we're so happy that it has helped you in your relationship. So again, all that information is on our website at idopodcast.com. Head on over there and thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.